Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Birmingham, Alabama, it's time for Birmingham Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Birmingham Business Radio. Stone Payton, Lee Cantor here, our producer, Ryan McPherson. Uh, it's been quite a morning, hasn't it, Lee? We got a lot accomplished. So uh, what we didn't get was lunch, but that's okay. We're but tough. But we did We're get gonna... coffee. Yeah. Thanks to Icebox Coffee. <laughs> He's the official coffee of this episode. He, he told her that, and I think he <laughs> meant it. I think they're like the official, the official sponsor now. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a fantastic uh, segment a little bit later in the program. Uh, we're going to visit with the Warren Averett folks. We're going to talk with Cecil uh, Bastani and Max Koss, and we're also going to get a chance to talk with Austin Noah. He's with uh, Vincari, which I may have butchered that name, but we'll find out here in a little bit. But first up on Birmingham Business Radio in this episode... Please join me in welcoming Economic Development Coordinator with the Birmingham Business Alliance, a guy who we met briefly That's when right. we just rolled into weeks ago. town uh, like a couple of flower salesmen just trying to pitch our wares. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to get a chance to visit with Mr. Alan Reeves. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Doing well. Thank you all for having me on the show today. Yes, sir. So you came on the show even after you had met us, which I, that's impressive. Against my better judgment. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We'll see. Well, we are delighted to have you, man. Economic development. Um, I'm sure most people have some idea of what they feel that's about, but I'd love to get a, a good, solid operational definition of what it is and mission and purpose straight from the guy who's making it happen. <laughs> sure. Well, the Birmingham Business Alliance really exists to promote economic development activity, economic growth within the Birmingham area. Uh, the BBA uh, came, uh, came into existence as a result of the merger of the old Birmingham Chamber of Commerce and then the Metropolitan Development Board. And so now what we do, we are tasked with uh, economic development, but within that is uh, public policy, workforce development, uh, community development, but really the idea to grow the Birmingham economy um, and enact positive changes uh, within the business community. So now, do you spend most of your time kind of nurturing the existing community or going outside to attract businesses into Birmingham? Well, if you just look at the numbers, uh, typically a, a region or an area's growth is going to be most driven by its existing businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, it's going to be about 75 to 80% of growth is going to come from existing businesses. So we sp- spend a substantial amount of our time with existing companies, uh, helping them grow, helping them work through any growth obstacles they may come across, uh, anything of that nature. Now, at the same time, though, we are focusing on bringing new companies uh, into the Birmingham area. A lot of times that may be through partnering with existing companies, and a lot of times it's because of existing companies, the existing uh, clusters that exist in Birmingham already. And it could be a company maybe has uh, an office in Huntsville, and then you maybe opening a second office in Birmingham? Correct. We see some of that. Um, uh, there, there are a lot of, of decisions that are driven uh, by geographic concerns, uh, whether it's uh, distribution, um, warehousing operations. Birmingham is, is in a good position in the southeast and in the state. Um, we're one of three southeastern cities with uh, six interstate spokes. Um, we'll have I-22 completed, which will great get in, hopefully in the next uh, few months, which will give us better access to Memphis. Um, right now you have to do a little detour, but we'll have direct access from 65 to I-22 here soon, uh, which will uh, even lend further credence to our, our trade distribution capabilities. So what exactly, 
is the State of the Union. What, what's, the, what's the economy like now in Birmingham? How would you describe it? We've seen some good things. Um, obviously, there's been some ups and downs, as, as everywhere has seen. Uh, but if you really look historically at Birmingham, uh, Birmingham came to be as a manufacturing community. Uh, it's still in the DNA, still on the people who are around Didn't we here. see the Vulcan on the way in? You saw the Vulcan. You saw the Vulcan to, back. Yeah. So Birmingham got it started in, in 1871. Uh, because it had all the ingredients necessary to produce steel. And so between the 1870s and 1920, uh, Birmingham saw this, this huge growth, uh, this boom in population that, that then gave it its name, the Magic City. Uh, it was also referred to as Pittsburgh of the South. We were producing a huge amount of steel. Um, and as that went through the 20th century, you saw the, the steel production continue, but then the economy also began to diversify. Now, a lot of that was because of uh, advances technology in the steel industry that allowed for uh, other industries to come in place and of course industries that serve some of the steel manufacturing uh, finance and insurance emerged as a major uh, driver for Birmingham economy and then because of that and because the population was there the healthcare industry uh, really came on strong and you saw a lot of hospitals pop up uh, in the 60s uh, UAB medical school came to be in Birmingham naturally when you saw the growth of the Birmingham medical industry, and then a lot of research that was spun off of that. Um, so what we see now is, is, is we still have that legacy and, and that foundation in manufacturing. We still produce a, a lot of things, whether it's uh, steel, auto parts, uh, anything of that nature. Uh, but we're also, like I said, big in finance and insurance. Uh, we're, we're big in healthcare. We're big in uh, biotech, life sciences, research. Uh, and we've seen a lot of organic growth recently in, in that. And we've seen a lot of positive things, I think. Now, can you share a little bit about how you interact with, like, UAB or Innovation Depot? How do you all work together so that you're not kind of replicating services? We all work together uh, for, for one main goal, and that's to, to, to see the growth of Birmingham area mm -hmm. companies. Um, so we have a close relationship with, with UAB, with Innovation Depot. And I think that if you talk to anybody at, at all the organizations, uh, you're going to see that anything that's positive, uh, we're going to go for. Um, anything that, that, that creates positive growth and, and positive things, uh, we want to see happen. And so we work closely with UAB and with Innovation Depot, whether or not that is working with UAB to recruit a company or working with Innovation Depot to recruit a company. It could be uh, that UAB and Innovation Depot offer uh, great resources and great assets uh, to a company that's looking to come into Birmingham. Innovation Depot, Depot uh, really, really offers a great landing space for companies. And what mm -hmm. we've also seen in the past when we've partnered with Innovation Depot and UAP on economic development projects and recruitment projects is uh, we'll get uh, Innovation Depot and UAB in the room uh, to talk to these companies to tell them about you know what these great resources are. So you'll all be in the room together. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, whether it's talking with UAB about uh, potential collaboration opportunities for that company, and UAB professors, UAB programs, uh, same thing with Innovation Depot. Now, is there a formal workforce development initiative? And if so, do you guys have a, a major role in that? We do. We do. Um, we, we, we really focus on our workforce development. I think that any company um, will tell you that really when it gets down to the nuts and bolts of it, it's, it's the workforce that uh, makes the product and it's the workforce that really allows for companies to, to succeed. Um, and so we feel that Birmingham already has a, a great workforce and a really high quality workforce, uh, but we want to continue to nurture that and grow that. Um, but we do that. We have several different initiatives, in, initiatives and several different programs that we uh, do to further uh, encourage workforce development. 
Um, one of those is the Alabama Workforce Training Center. Um, it's the first Alabama Workforce Training Center in central Alabama. And that's in collaboration with AIDT, which is the state's workforce development uh, wing. And the Birmingham location here focuses specifically on the manufacturing and construction trades um, to serve the manufacturing industry in Birmingham, then also the construction industry in Birmingham. And what companies can do uh, is they can send their own employees uh, to this center, which is located in downtown Birmingham, uh, for, for hands-on training with uh, highly skilled uh, teachers. Um, or they can also use it as, as a potential uh, recruiting pool. Um, but that's an instance where you're working with a company where it's a public-private kind of initiative that the company's saying, hey, we need more of these type of people, and you're kind of helping them. It's, it's, it's definitely reacting to a need. Uh-huh. Um, and I think in, in, in most cases what you're going to see is we're going to listen to the business community, and that's part of our existing business program is listening to uh, those existing companies and seeing what they need and uh, where, mm-hmm. where we need to allocate resources. Um, and so what this training center was, I think, was a response to a need that we saw within the area. So what's your backstory? Have you always done this kind of work, or did you? Well, I, I, I grew up uh, in the Birmingham area, uh, uh-huh. in Alabaster, and uh, went to school out of state. And I came back uh, about three years ago and have been working uh, in, in Birmingham and with the Birmingham Business Alliance and Economic Development since. So how far out of state did you go? Far enough to miss the home <laughs> cooking? or? I was in Boston, so it was a little oh, different. Oh, wow. But... That, that's, that's out of country almost. <laughs> culturally, it's like much more than out of state. A little bit. It was, it was a bit of an uh, adjustment <laughs> period, but it was, it was good. I enjoyed it up there. Yeah. Now, how has the downtown changed? Because uh, Ryan, our producer, he has family here, and he's said that it was, he hadn't been here in a decade or in a half or so. He said it was dramatically different. Yeah, and I, I think really you have seen a lot of that over the past 10 years or so, um, is this huge growth in downtown. Uh, right now, the, the central business district uh, has about 30 projects going on that total uh, a little over $725 million in investment. Uh, ranging from uh, apartment developments, uh, condo developments, bars, restaurants, museums, um, and all occurring right around the, the downtown area, which mm-hmm. for a long time was not happening. A lot of development was more concentrated in going... In the suburbs. It, exactly, exactly. And so you're seeing it concentrated more downtown, and you're seeing the population uh, really starting to rise downtown. Between 2010 and 2013, uh, Birmingham saw an increase in its its uh, young professional population of 48 percent. Um, young professional in this case case is is uh, defined as uh, 25 age thir- 25 to 35 with a bachelor's degree, um, but saw 48 percent increase in, the, in downtown living between 2010 and 2013. Because they like that more urban environment where you can walk places. Exactly, and, exactly, and I, I think a lot of it is a generational thing, and, and as more amenities come online. Uh, I think you're going to see more of that. The, the building of the apartment complexes uh, and, and additional living facilities is, is definitely, a, again, a reaction to a need. Um, you saw, you've, have seen the rental market extremely strong in Birmingham for a long time now um, with, with occupancy rates high up there in the 90s. And the new developments are, again, just a reaction to a need, and I think they'll do very well. Are businesses relocating to downtown as well? They are. We have seen a lot of companies who have established uh, downtown Birmingham offices that may have moved away before but are now realizing that there's something to be said for being downtown, being able to 
uh, walk down the street to say regions or one of the law firms or mm-hmm. wherever it may be versus before having to get into their car and drive there. Right. And so you're seeing a lot of redevelopment of uh, the downtown office space as well. Um, old warehouse space or old office space is being redeveloped into these really new innovative uh, right. Like, I mean, the Innovation Depot, they said was a exactly. Sears. Exactly, right. exactly. It's, it's very similar to that. So I want to dive into the BBA itself. Is that appropriate to call it the BBA? Absolutely. Okay. Um, so as a business owner, talk to me about how to get the most out of being a member of the Birmingham Business Alliance. I'm sure that if that's not always overtly articulated, I'm sure especially newer members are asking themselves that, and um, you probably have some counsel that would serve them serve them well. What's, how can you get the most out of a relationship with and a membership in uh, BBA? We have a range of programs and events uh, that, that, that we host, um, that we participate in, that uh, investor companies, member companies are able to participate in, and along with, with uh, non-members, non-investors as well. But really the best way to, to get engaged is to uh, come to our events um, that offer a lot of net- great networking opportunities. Uh, but then also we, we have a, a huge number of councils, uh, committees that are really comprised of business leaders within Birmingham who are working, uh, again, to enact positive change, um, whether that's in uh, the, the area of policy, whether that's in economic development, workforce development, again, going back to those main tenets that we're looking to drive uh, economic growth within the Birmingham area. And so really, you know, I think if you want to look at the best way to, to get involved, it's, it's just that, to, to involve yourself, to come to the events, to uh, talk to us about being a part of the council or, or, or one of the committees that we have. Yeah, you just, you used a term that I'm not uh, accustomed to hearing from someone in a, in a uh, organization. You used the term investor. Yes. Can you so, speak to that a so, bit? So we, we, we actually call our, our companies that in, invest in the Birmingham Business Alliance, huh. Alliance our investors. Uh, the idea that uh, they are investing in the BBA, they're investing in the community. Um, uh, we, we like to think that companies are investors in the BBA because they see the value from doing so. Um, and so by being an investor, uh, you're, you're much more invested in the community. Well, and the financial outlay, I suspect, is is relatively modest when you start looking at the advocacy that they can participate in and at the very least benefit from, that I'm sure you have a very strong advocacy effort toward pro-business legislation Correct. and policy and, and that kind of thing. And then the, the resources that I'm, you must be able to avail yourselves to once you know about them and if you're willing to do that. Exactly. There's um, a lot of smart, well-accomplished folks swimming around at the BBA Margarita Monday, well, right? We we like to think so. Uh, maybe save me, but <laughs> uh, but no, no. I, I I think that that being involved in the BBA is is definitely a great value to companies. Um, again, we like to think that that companies see that that good value come out of being a part of the BBA and investing in the BBA. If not uh, for just coming to the events and things like that, but seeing some of the things that we're doing in the community to make Birmingham Birmingham area a better place. So what's your favorite part about the work? Uh, just the people I get to meet, the different things I get to do. Uh, there's not a day goes by that it's the same thing. Um, always, always meeting different people, people I never thought I would have gotten a chance to interact with. What's the biggest success story? 
Um, you know, I think there's a lot to point to. Uh, if you want to look at recently in, in Birmingham, though, in terms of, of economic development successes, uh, uh, going back to uh, kind of as the, the Birmingham community and Birmingham economy has evolved and what we've seen in the life sciences industry. Uh, so you go back to last year, our Oxford Pharmaceuticals, which is a, a company out of uh, Oxford, England, um, uh, chose Birmingham as its location for its first, uh, or for, for a, a uh, generic drug manufacturing uh, facility. It'll employ about 200 people. will be out on the Lakeshore Quarter. Um, also, Evonik Industries, which has a major presence in, in South Alabama, has a major presence in uh, Birmingham as well. Uh, last year, they chose uh, Birmingham over a number of other options as their for- first North American uh, research headquarters for their uh, medical devices research. Um, so it's, it's, it's a major research hub for them uh, globally. All right, so before we go, what can we do to help? What can other folks in this room, we're going to be talking to other entrepreneurs, business people, uh, and then what can we as a media platform, what can we do to help? What do you need most, man? You need members? What do you need? Well, so much of it is just telling the story, and I think that I'm able to look at it because I work with it every day, and I know the positive things that are happening. I know the good things that are happening, but not everybody knows that. And so, so much of it is just telling that positive story and telling telling that to other people, whether it's within the area, whether it's within the country, whether it's internationally, um, the more the people realize, hey, Birmingham's got something going on. Right. There's a lot happening and the story's just not being told. Correct. Right. And we're going to prove that by continuing to interview a lot of smart, bright, right. passionate we'll folks. We'll do our part. We'll tell them. All right. So where can our listeners go to learn more coordinates, email, website Address. Our, our address is www.birminghambusinessalliance.com, and you can find all sorts of great information from research on the local uh, economy and area to information about uh, events, uh, uh, workforce development programs, you, you name it, uh, www.birminghambusinessalliance.com. And we're also on all the uh, social media outlets as well. Fantastic. Well, as you know, because we did have a brief conversation, I don't know, several weeks ago, we're going to establish a permanent studio here in in Birmingham. And between now and that time, uh, we'll probably do this two or three times where we come and we set up our mobile unit. And uh, so we we want to continue to work with you. We'd like to interview members from time to time. And we want to help you get that story out. So we're certainly here to help any way that we can. And We'll take all the help we can get from you guys and letting folks know that we that we want to we want to be part of the success of this town. Well, we certainly appreciate that. I think that we'll do a good job of identifying those appropriate companies uh, for yeah. you guys and they can can tell that exciting story. Well, hang with us a little bit. We're going to uh, visit with a few more guests this afternoon. We stay with us for a little while. Absolutely. All right. Next up on Birmingham Business Radio, we are going to visit with the good folks at Warren Averett. Uh, Warren Averett, uh, these guys are no stranger to us. Uh, we haven't known these two gentlemen uh, for very long, but uh, full disclosure, we're actually a client of Warren Averett in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, and we're quite pleased with that relationship. But we've also, uh, as we uh, participate in business organizations that are genuinely trying to help businesses be successful, one of those is Ty Atlanta, and Warren Abert is a big part of that organization. And just about any time we find ourselves at a startup lounge or a startup riot or a Ty Atlanta event, uh, somebody from Warren Abert is not just there, they're, they're genuinely trying to, to serve. And, and I get the sense that uh, that story is exactly the same here in Birmingham. Yeah, it sounds like the, the way they recruit and the way they work with people. Yeah, absolutely. So please join me in welcoming to the program first from 
this esteemed outfit, Mr. Cecil Bastani. How are you, man? Great, Stone. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I am looking forward to this conversation. Uh, if you would, give our folks a little bit of a, uh overview, mission, purpose. What's Warren Averett out there? What, what, are they, what are they about and what are they out there trying to do for folks? Warren Averett's an accounting firm. We're based here in Birmingham, so we've got about 15 offices in Atlanta where your, your guys are helping you, or one of them. And we, uh, we started here in Birmingham about 40 years ago. So we're, uh, we're definitely a Birmingham-based firm, uh, and, and we have a large group of resources here in Birmingham. Warren Averett kind of, I, I really like the way Alan was talking about Birmingham. And by the way, we are an investor in the in the BBA, and uh, I really appreciate the advocacy and all of the promotion that uh, I didn't the BBA realize does. that. I'm not at the least bit surprised based on our experience with Warren Averett, but uh, I did not realize that you are an investor with the BBA. Absolutely, great. And as as are many of our clients, which uh, gets you to the to the, the reason that that we're involved. Uh, our client base is basically Birmingham's uh, DNA at least the Birmingham client base and the state of Alabama. We're the largest firm in the state, but we were based out of here. And if you look at our clients, it pretty much is a makeup of the Birmingham economic community. So we, we look at giving back. Uh, the success we've had is primarily based on our clients and uh, the community. So I sit on the Innovation Depot board and we've got many, many folks uh, in, in our ranks that are involved in the community. This guy's everywhere. I know, but it seems as part of the Warren Averett culture is this uh, participation in the community. Yeah. You're, you're not just trying to serve the community in terms of just your service. You're ter- trying to serve them also by helping uh, the whole community grow. Absolutely. Our culture and values, if you visit our website, you'll be able to see those in uh, the list of them, not in any particular order, but one of the probably the last one on there is giving back to our community. Mm-hmm. And that's just, and it seemed you were, we were talking earlier about your growth as a company that the way that you typically grow is by um, merging or partnering with companies in different cities outside of Birmingham. Right. We, what we do, we're on a growth pattern at this point, and uh, we're looking for firms that share our values and our interest in, in both giving great service as well as Right. giving back to the community. And when we find a firm like that in another city, we talk with them, and if it makes sense to join forces, we do that. And you're serving firms uh, regionally, domestically, but also across the pond. I mean, it, Absolutely. all over the planet, right, internationally. Well, and again, we, we kind of mimic what the Alabama economy, at least here in, in this office, as well as in Atlanta and the other markets we're in, we mimic what business is doing there. And a lot of businesses in each of our offices are doing international business. Fantastic. And you got somebody here with you that can speak to some of that activity? We have the director of our international practice. Well, it sounds like that's the man. Uh, please join me in welcoming to the program, Max Koss. How are you, man? I'm well. Thanks, Don. So you've been hanging out with us, uh, both of you guys, for a, uh, a couple of episodes. And I, and I could see you nodding your head, and I think I would call one of you taking some, some notes. The reason I mention it is I get the sense that you both genuinely revel in listening to other business people tell their story, share their, their successes, their challenges. Um, you guys really, you, you like this stuff, don't you, Max? Yeah, I try to learn things that I can share with other, with clients, you know, and, and help them grow. So talk to us a little bit about the, uh, the international focus. To tell us a little uh, bit about that side of the work. Yeah, I think more and more companies are realizing they have to go international at some point, and uh, they're going they're going international very 
you know, a lot quicker than they used to. Um, and so uh, they, they need, you know, they need to know what those rules are. And uh, that's, that's what we do to help them. We also work a lot with, uh, with foreign companies that are looking to do business here in the U.S. Now, is there, uh, like you mentioned, that a lot of companies, the world's becoming, you know, flatter and it's easier to get around and do things internationally. Uh, do you have any tips you can share, like pitfalls that companies make or maybe mistakes that they you see happen uh, when companies maybe try to go international without, you sure. know, working with a firm like yours? Usually what the, the, the biggest mistake I see is they try to shortcut it. They try to do it on the cheap and they wind up, uh, you know, paying for that. A lot mm -hmm. of them do pay like what's, for that uh, What does it do it on the cheap? Like, well, what would they do? We, you know, they, they send people, say, to Canada and, and you know, uh, they keep sending them back and forth. Uh, without any sort of work permit, and and eventually oh. they get a phone call from from the, the you know hey I'm they don't appreciate I'm stuck that at the border. How do I, how do I, how do I get, get back? Yeah, so we've had that happen a couple times actually uh -huh. with uh, clients in in Canada. So if you have a client that maybe is working here, maybe they're a manufacturer here, and they're thinking, hey, I want to go to Canada. What's the that conversation you're having with them to educate them on the well, best way to do there's, that? There's Different levels, you know. Sometimes uh, initially you'll you'll look to uh, maybe you're just getting orders uh, off the internet or phone calls, and, mm -hmm. and you're shipping goods to Canada. And in in that case, you know, it, it may be as simple as who you know who who owns the product when you cross the border into Canada, because that person is responsible for the duties and uh, you know the import. Uh, uh, duties and so and customs if it's and the end user then they would be responsible the, then they're going to pay to get those goods through customs uh -huh. um, and, and and so you got to also make sure that your contract is worded the way that you think it, it needs mm -hmm. to be worded and um, you know there's some some other expenses that you may have in, a, in an international sale that you, uh, you you know the first time you do it or the first few times you do it you may you may not consider and you wind up maybe you don't make any money right you might it. lose on the first right. couple just you're on that learning curve right yeah and and the other thing is some a lot of companies here in the US only want to deal in US dollars well if you can <laughs> think about maybe pricing your goods in foreign currency you might have an advantage against uh, other US companies but that's a challenge in itself then right sure now then, you're you can, then you need to probably talk to a banker <laughs> and, and make sure that you you know you're covered with uh, uh, now, do you, like if a company needs like that um, to talk to a banker or a lawyer, is that part of the relationship? You help maybe point them to the appropriate banker or the appropriate lawyer? We do. In that we case, do. because certain bankers would, I would imagine, have a specialty right. maybe that it, they could be more uh, effective in helping me than just a banker. Right. I mean, your bank here in, in Birmingham may not have a, a a branch or a corresponding right. relationship with a bank in, in Canada. So you may need to go to another bank here in the U.S. to right. to, to, to uh, have that relationship. Now, that kind of thing would mean everything in the world to like a business like ours. I mean, let's walk through. I mean, this is our show, so let's get some real immediate benefit out of it, Lee. Uh, let's take Business Radio X. We very much would like to continue expanding, not only here domestically, but internationally. So let's say we have an opportunity in, I don't know, London. Mm -hmm. um, so... Walk us through it a little bit. We should probably come to you early and often. We should come to you maybe and say, before we get very far down the, the road in a conversation, say, hey, look, looks like we got this opportunity. We'd like to license uh, this young lady in London mm -hmm. to run a Business Radio X studio. You know, right. I, I, I love London, but I've only played there. I've never done business there. Right. Um, so you would 
kind of walk us through some of the you you probably have the max methodology right like this checklist mm-hmm. have you thought about these nine things right, right you'd walk us through this conversation right yeah, and I think one thing is, uh, you know, one of my first questions would be, what, what, do you, what do you want this to look like? What, you know, I, if, if this thing does well, what, what's it going to look like five years from now? And, and so then we would kind of work backwards to figure out the best way to structure, structure that. You know, is it going to be just, uh, are you going to set up an entity there eventually? Are you going to just uh, license your uh, technology uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, the, the, uh, right, the rights to... to to, to use for our, someone to right. use the name. Well, and that's there. a real decision point, right? And it may be just because we have a really strong workable licensing structure here, that doesn't necessarily mean that it it makes sense to do that in London or Florence or anywhere else, right? We might have to change we have to do something different over there. Right, and because of the laws over there as well, you might have to uh, 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 take those into consideration, you know, like right. if you there may be rules in in Europe where if you uh, you know if you license it to that person uh, to somebody that that you have to give them you know six months notice or something if you want to if you want to drop the contract and move to move it to somebody else you know you, those right. you need to know what those rules are maybe that person in Europe is viewed as an employee of the U.S. company, and so you've got to give them six months' notice before you, 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 know, oh, you nice. sever the contract. <laughs> now you're scaring me. <laughs> well, just things, it's things you need to know before you go in versus uh, learning the hard way. Well, and one of the nice things about working with a firm like a Warren Averett, as opposed to, you know, maybe a very nice guy that runs, you know, Jimmy's Lawn Mowing, Taxidermy, and uh, Bookkeeping, but... Now I, I can go to you and you can say, look, we got to get, I, I, you know, I've got a guy who knows the guy, you know, at Westminster and I want him to talk to you before you take any more steps. I mean, you, you're the guy that knows the guy, right? In these situations. And we, we're part of a, you know, a worldwide organization of, of accounting firms. So we, we have contacts throughout the, uh, throughout the world and we can, we can help, uh, for, you know, help you with both sides of that transaction. And if you don't, then you just call Alan over to BBA. He knows everybody. Alan, Alan has quite a role. In that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the the two of you, do you, do you find yourselves, uh, the, do you two collaborate on projects and refer clients or team up to serve clients or do you just have lunch together or just do radio and media appearances together? What's, what's your deal? All, all, the, all the above, particularly, <laughs> yeah, we, we added the radio appearances today. Uh, nice. But we, we do a lot of work together. We work on a lot of the same clients. I, uh, I've got uh, a, a wide variety of clients, but a lot of the commonality is they're they're starting to go overseas. So, and that's the beauty of a relationship with Warren Avery. Like that, you can hand them off, or you can um, share Max with them, right? Well, <laughs> really, the the way that works, we we don't try to have a, a relationship with just one person in the firm for a client. We we try to bring the talent that the client needs. Uh, without having anybody being a gatekeeper. Uh, so if, a, if I'm a partner on an account, the last thing I want to do is, a, is try to answer all the questions without going and getting the expert involved because I can't answer everything. We, there's no way for you to know the, the complexity of the tax systems, not just in the United States, but all yeah. over the world, create lots of issues. That, uh, if that's what I knew, I'd be doing a lot better than most people, <laughs> but uh, you have to bring a, a max in for, uh, for his area of expertise. And you tend to work in the life science and technology. I do. I've got quite a bit, quite a few uh, technology-based clients, even particularly here in Innovation Depot. I would, I would think between Alan and and uh, Cecil, they, they pretty much know everybody in town. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> so, Cecil, how have you seen the Birmingham startup community evolve over the years? 
Well, I, I've got an interesting perspective because I grew up here, but it's been about 20 years that I've been involved in uh, technology companies, and I just kind of fell into it one day. There was a, a company that had developed a, uh, a particular uh, software product, and uh, the, this was back in when they were still uh, not many big or not many small computers were available. But I got intrigued by the, the science more than anything else, and, and which really is what drove me into doing more and more of it. There's some very, very similar issues with technology-based companies, whether they be bio or software or device. And a lot of those same issues keep coming up. So if you work in this industry enough or with, with companies in that industry, you, you tend to get pretty good at, at predicting what kind of issues they're going to have, and, and you have solutions for them. So uh, that that's kind of the way I've looked at it. And, and there's... There's quite a bit of technology going on in the state of Alabama, so I've got clients all over the state, and uh, you're, you're going to be talking to Austin Noah uh, in just a bit. Austin has spawned several companies over the years, and I've been lucky to be involved in some of those, and uh, it's the economy's done well for us. Now, what's the climate for uh, angel and VC investing? We, we can never have enough. <laughs> uh, we, we are blessed with a lot of angel and small venture money, but we don't have a great deal of private equity. We tend to get that brought in from other states, and it's, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge, but we're working pretty well on that. I think the, the more uh, publicity we get from people like Radio X would, would help that. Now, is that a, uh, are you having an issue with maybe companies that get VC funded leaving the Birmingham area? It can be an issue a lot of times. If, if you've got a company that doesn't have a strong management team and let's say they want to find a, a CEO that can maybe take the company to the next level, many times the, the person that the private equity firm or the company has to try to recruit may not want to move to Birmingham. But if we can get them here and they stay here for a little while, they don't want to mm-hmm. leave. Right. I'll bet. So tell us, Max, what's your favorite part about the job, man? Do you travel a lot or do you just know folks over there? I, tra- I travel uh, at this point. I tra- I've only been with a firm about a year and a half, and um, but I, I travel a lot to our Atlanta office, uh, Huntsville, Mobile, and uh, Tampa, um, and and I do a little little bit of international travel. So you're partnering up with with other Warren Averett folks that are trying to serve other clients coming from those offices, or right? I try to try to we have we have clients in all those offices that right. have international. So I, I work with the staff and, and and help make sure that their needs are are met. And then, and then we also, you know, are, are constantly uh, out marketing, looking for new, new clients. So what's your favorite part? You like bouncing around and visiting these different offices and picking up new ideas or? Well, now, now that the kids are, uh, have left, uh, you know, are, are, are out of college. Uh, yeah, it's a lot easier to travel now. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so I, I asked some folks in our last episode and I, uh, I neglected to ask Alan and I may get him back on the air to ask him, but, uh, I'm always interested to know if I can remember to ask what, what's on your nightstand or your Kindle these days, I guess are you reading anything, uh, with respect to the business world that we should know about and be inspired by, uh, other than actually, Cecil's memoirs. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> really all I have are a bunch of, uh, IRS rules and regulations and, and stuff like that that I read at night. So, uh, they, they help that me get to, you sleep. Help right? get to sleep. That's right. Never has a problem sleeping. <laughs> well, uh, no, the, I don't know how you guys keep up because, I mean, you talk about a moving – if in any – I think it's true in a lot of arenas, but particularly in your – I mean, competence is a moving target for you guys, right? I mean, the you have to keep up with so much. Well, we do, uh, we do our best. 
right, I got to ask you, Cecil, uh, what's on your nightstand? Are you reading any business books? Or are you neck deep in all the I read, tax code? Or? Yeah, we read pretty much most of the day, so it's not the uh, it's it's not the thing I want to do at night. So uh, I'm I'm my family is uh, from Middle Eastern descent, so I, I'm reading a book about the Middle East, but it was written in the '50s, so you get a little bit different perspective of what's going on compared to today. I'll bet you do. Tell me a little bit more about life at the depot. How, how much are you hanging out here? Do you, you come out here a lot? I come down here a good bit. We, we we have board meetings every quarter, but if you look at the clients and how often we meet with them, we, we mostly meet here. And we have a lot of mixers here, depending on what's going on. I think this afternoon's one of them. Uh, was it Margarita? Uh, well, I, I'm I'm lobbying for He's Margarita Monday start that. or Tequila Tuesday to or uh, you the, know. There there was something. That usually there's a mixer you can get to, and if uh, if you just bring your own, you could do your own. <laughs> but it's a great place to collaborate with people. It's a great place to hang out. Uh, everyone's busy here, but uh, if you if you look at it from my perspective, I've got a client that I can work with. The more I know about what they're doing, the better I can serve them. So I spend a lot of time doing that. And, uh, you know, that, that also, I guess, the reason I do what I do, it's, it's not the accounting that gets you interested. It's the people and the businesses you can help be successful. Well, I got to tell you, uh, and, and I'm quite sincere, and I was quite sincere in, in opening the, uh, the, the segment this afternoon. Our experience with meeting uh, Warren Averett people has just been fabulous. You know, we've had a chance to, to meet some folks, obviously, in the Atlanta office and work with them. Uh, we sat down with Amy Jemison for a little while, and she helped us coordinate this uh, uh, parade here that we have with with Devin Laney and, and this crew. And, uh, you know, the hits just keep hum- uh, coming, man. I thoroughly enjoy visiting with you guys. I want to keep this conversation going. I would like very much to, to have you back on sometime, you and Max both. I think it would be fun if you're up for it to uh, maybe bring on a, a client and get it from their perspective, you know, some of the work that you guys are, are doing. And as you mentioned earlier, in, in just a moment, uh, we're going to introduce uh, a guy that you know uh, really well. But let's do this some more. Let's don't make this the last conversation. Man. We'd love to do it. And uh, Amy Jemison, who's our director of marketing, is very much behind this. So she's, uh, you, anytime you need us, we'll be there. Fantastic. Well, hey, listen, don't go anywhere. Hang with us. Uh, we got one more guy that we're going to visit with. Uh, he's our headliner for this episode, that's right? right? The, we, the closer. That's right. The, uh, the closer. Uh, and I'm not even going to try to. Uh, butcher the name of the company again or did i get it right the first time? you got it right well then we're gonna do it again yeah. please join me in welcoming to the broadcast from vin Kari, the the grand poobah the chief executive officer uh the, the man that's getting it done mr austin noah welcome to the show man thank you stone thank you for having us yes sir all right now don't let that mic whip you, you got to get right in there just uh karaoke uh, karaoke close. karaoke close so You've been uh, very kind, very patient. Uh, I, I got the sense that you appreciated some of the conversation. I saw you nodding your head a lot, not while I was talking or Lee was talking, but when our guests were talking, you were. I, I saw some pretty affirming nods, I thought, yeah? Uh, exactly. As you can imagine, we were uh, with the, in our experience over the last five or six years, we've had to rec- recruit in this market. So most uh, high-end talent that we're looking for, Cecil knows or Alan has met and uh, it's a great environment and a great place to uh, build a company. I actually live about an hour and a half south of uh, north of here, up near Huntsville, and I commute huh. here each week. And wow, the talent pool here is great. Our founder is from Gadsden. He's actually a general surgeon. He's our chief medical officer. So this was kind of a centralized area to recruit and build a business. 
You may know a town that is very near and dear to my heart. When I was uh, Alan's age, or a little bit younger maybe, the North Pole for me, I was raised in Pensacola, Florida. The North Pole for me was Uncle Sherman and Aunt Blanche's house at Hartzell, Alabama. That's I'm about 15 miles north. All right. <laughs> so you know <laughs> so right I know where exactly. I'm talking. But it certainly speaks, uh, speaks well of Innovation Depot that you make that, that, you make that drive. Yes, it's been a Birmingham gr- community. It has been a great place to grow a company. Um, uh, infrastructure, security, both on data security and then, you know, uh, just – uh, the facility security for our people, our employees that have to work late, come in early. It's um, an excellent facility to, to grow this company. Well, can you share a little bit about what you guys are up to? We're clearly laser focused in the healthcare market. We deliver a platform called Lightspeed Valet, which is really a virtual assistant to surgeons. And when you look at the healthcare market in at forty thousand foot view, surgeons are really the pivot of healthcare. You know, you're you're really critically ill and there's a great deal that goes on. They have so much responsibility that we don't see as just normal patients. Mm-hmm. They they have legal responsibilities, they have compliance issues, they have to make sure that their documentation is correct and accurate so that both the facility and the uh, surgeon gets paid and reimbursed correctly. So that is where we're laser focused, our crosshairs are to assist or focused on assisting that surgeon to capture what event just occurred in the operating room and making sure he or she gets reimbursed appropriately and the facility gets reimbursed appropriately. It's a, it's a fairly complex um, process if you know much about health care and how reimbursements. But occur. now how does it work if they don't use your service? Right. <laughs> right. That's a good question. I'm going to tell you that's that, a good question. That's, that's a softball question, and I love it. Um, right now, if you've traditionally you see surgeons, time is money to them. They're very, very busy. They have patient schedules. They they have to visit families. They have to go make rounds. They have to get back to their right. office. Well, first, walk us through like what's a day of a surgeon look like? A day of a surgeon it's not and, pretty. And and I can speak to this personally. My dad was a uh, a urologist over time, and um, so I I was a child that would answer that phone that would ring at uh, two in the morning because somebody had kidney stones. You know it's. It depends on what type of surgeon, but typically they're up at 4 in the morning and they're in the OR at 6, 6.30. They're getting out at 9 or 11 and they're out visiting patients on the floor in recovery. Then they're probably in the office seeing uh, additional patients that either have a follow-up or need their additional services. And then so that that's their day. And then if they're not using your service, what how are they dealing with all of that? Typically what happens in the – and it's built on 40-year-old technology, and it's dictation. Um, so they're know, talking into a, they're, a recorder? I operated uh, the uh, gallbladder on healthy male, Lee. The patient recovered well, no blood loss. You know, he is speaking into a dictaphone, and then a day or two later, the – transcription takes place then he has to review it again a day later to approve it then it gets billed Mm. okay well that process is uh, prone with errors number one if he's busy um, he he wants to be as efficient as possible so with our application at the point of care within minutes of the surgery he's completed his documentation or her documentation and that procedure could be a five thousand dollar procedure or it could be a hundred thousand dollar procedure 
any documents in two minutes. But so, is it happening as he's operating? So we do have some surgeons that do it while they're documenting, you know, as, as other things, or either the patient's being put to sleep or is being closed, the, the surgeons will do the documentation. But primarily it's within minutes of them taking their gloves off and stepping outside the OR. Mm -hmm. And how is it done? What is the technology? We, we're um, basically it's a web-based cloud, well, it's a cloud-based system. You can get to the application with your right security credentials through a HIPAA compliant platform, and any browser will get you to our application. Even their phone? Uh, even their phone, we're mobile friendly. Um, the phone does have a little bit of a limitation as far as landscape is concerned about mm -hmm. how, how um, um, crowded it might be, but we see a tremendous amount of laptops. So did and, the... Um, uh, iPads, I'm sorry. Did the medical community, the practitioners, jump on this with all fours when you first came to them, or were they a little bit, uh, you know, skeptical? Or what was the early marketing like? The early marketing, as you can imagine, a surgeon says, okay, here comes another application. The hospital has asked me to do this. My practice has asked me to use this application. So th that's why our point of view and our strategy is so focused on the surgeon. We're there to help him or her in his daily life. And um, there are some large applications that really help hospitals uh, maintain their daily workflow, Epic, Cerner, McKesson, um, CPSI, Siemens, Meditech. And we integrate with all of those applications that was probably a good call as opposed to like you're just going to go straight at them and beat them at their own game that <laughs> exactly <laughs> and to be i'll be frank with you we do run into some of their salespeople that mm -hmm. you know they're trying to give us the heisman and stuff right. and say well, we, we, <laughs> we got this covered yeah, we don't we need got that. this covered right. and um then we'll ask uh, then we ask the client says well, we're using their application to do what we do and says oh no we've had it for 12 years but we've never implemented it so it's it is a it is a competitive world uh one thing about this technology and i grew up i can't tell it on the radio i do have gray hair i grew up in the mainframe days the cost uh, of cloud-based computing is so cheap to deploy and service that these legacy-based systems are gonna have to adopt the cloud and there are issues around HIPAA and security, but all those are being addressed. And I think over time, the next five or 10 years, there'll be a tremendous revolution of uh, hospitals not hosting their own data. It'll be somewhere in a secure cloud. Now, how has the changing healthcare um, climate affected your business in terms of you're saying that um, laser focused on surgeons and lasers focused on surgeons, aren't their relationships with hospitals different than they were? It fit the nail on the head. Um, there's a, a tremendous transformation taking place around reimbursement. Reimbursement right now is, in, in the past, has been volume-based. I do uh, 10 uh, hernia repairs today. I get X number of dollars per hernia repair as a surgeon. Now, they're moving and transitioning to more of a value-based pricing or reimbursement where it's, it's forcing the stakeholders, the facility, the hospital, or the surgery center to work in conjunction with the physician and get one, so to speak, bundled payment where it's, you have to uh, define and measure that value so you decide which physicians get paid for what services. So it, it's, a, it's a very complicated world, and the thing about value, you have to measure it. You can't measure 
a operation when you dictate into a phone. So we create this discrete data that helps analytics on the back end, and we actually help defend the reputation of the surgeon because our documentation will show that he or she is working on sicker patients, where in the past they just just took it for granted and would say and well like and, you're saying like a hernia is a hernia is a hernia exactly. and that may not be so exactly if i'm a if i'm an obese patient that's right diabetic, that's a different that's type of hernia right exactly exactly right so now how is it so the the surgeon's like hey i want this and then they tell the hospital to buy it like how does that work our model right now is the hospitals provide it to their surgeons and as you mentioned earlier in a comment in some healthcare organizations, the hospitals employ the surgeons, and some they just have privileges. So mm -hmm. you're seeing that dynamic play out. So, and that's really why we um, were created. Dr. Newman, our chief medical officer, a general surgeon practicing in Gadsden, he works at two different hospitals that are with two different health organizations and a surgery center. He said, and I'm a technologist by trade. Uh, he came to me, he's a college buddy, and he said, look, I'm frustrated. I go to one hospital, I'm on a product called McKesson. I go to another hospital, mm -hmm. I'm on a product called Cerner. And then I go to my surgery center and I'm using a dictaphone that was <laughs> created around uh, right. uh, turn of the century. He says, I, I'm doing the same thing no matter where I am. Why can't I have one application? And that's where we provide that service to him. So now, but so you provide it to him. So even if the hospital doesn't have it, he still can use it. Well, we, we do need to integrate with the hospital's EMR electronic medical mm -hmm. record of, of their official medical record, because at the end of the day, and I mentioned this earlier, the physician has a legal responsibility too, to make sure he and she, he or she is compliant, that they're delivering the correct documentation to uh, help facilitate the next level of care for the patient. Um, he's he or she has to be worried about mal malpractice, making sure everything's documented as it was. So if a, if a surgeon insists on bringing your product with them, the hospital usually is okay with it. Yeah, we love that. We love to have a, <laughs> what we call them alpha docs, the ones that are high volume doctors. We'll get them to take us into the executive suite. At so the you, that's happened. Yes. You've, you've oh, had yes. that happen. Yes. And now is this because aren't the rules different now? It's not just I performed this uh, surgery. It's the um, outcome is also, right? Because uh, I could get dinged if there's a bad outcome in a month, right? And that is where I tie it into value. Mm -hmm. What is the value? You have surgeons that are, of course, better than others, and their outcomes are going to drive lower cost into the healthcare right. process, and that's the ones the hospitals want to partner with and measure value with. And they, uh, at the end of the day, it's analytics. How do you measure the outcomes and the performance of a surgeon. So now, are surgeons okay with this uh, measuring outcomes? My, and I, and <laughs> I, I, I would think fifty no, no, percent no, are. I, think any, well, <laughs> I mean, none of us like to be measured. I mean, I, I never liked it. I never liked my report card I got at school. You know, but at the end of the day, surgeons. Uh, I don't think, and I'll, I'll base this on my father, he didn't like to be measured. He was clearly focused on the care of the patient. Mm -hmm. And this regu regulatory world of health care, this burden that's placed on the surgeons, we're trying to relieve that burden, meaning our application will make sure that they've captured every specific data item or element that they need to measure their effectiveness. So one of our previous guests told on you, 
and happened to mention this is not your first rodeo. You've you've done this kind of thing before, or you've had successful businesses before. Can you speak to that a little bit, and and particularly with some focus on maybe sharing a lesson or two learned, a do or a don't for some of our more aspiring entrepreneurs in the in the listener base. I'd love to. Um, I did. I've had two successful startups prior. First one was a systems integration firm that put in large payroll systems um, and manufacturing systems. Uh, I was lucky enough to work for Disney, put in Disney's payroll, uh, Bell South, that's now AT&T, um, down in Bradstreet. And that was a, a service firm that was really implementing existing technologies during the Y2K craze back in the 90s. Uh, we ramped, uh, grew it from uh, one employee to 300 and sold it to a company called CSC out of California. Um, we had operations in uh, France and uh, England, which was, I always thought everyone did did business <laughs> like we way. did. That's I, not the case. You know, huh? I, I realized everybody in France on, in August goes on vacation. So you're, for you're, August? It, for oh, August. man, it's crazy on that side of the world. And so your, your revenue goes to zero when you're a consulting firm. The second uh, stint, I was fortunate. Now, that was, in terms of an entrepreneur, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Um, Stone, to your comment, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. And I just learned that it's the management team. You can have a great idea, but... The management team is going to get you to the next level. Um, the second uh, venture was really in 2000, maybe in uh, 1999. I can't remember the exact date. But I was introduced to a technology in, in um, Toronto, Canada, that basically backed up data over the web. And back then, nobody trusted the web. It wasn't secure. Right. It wasn't fast enough. So we um, acquired that technology I funded it from my prior uh, engagement, and at some point, the dot-com bubble burst, and it scared me, and I was writing checks to fund payroll personally, so I reached out to a group of venture capitalists in Nashville, um, Council Capital and Massey Birch, and was able to raise some funds, and over the next seven years, it was a company called Evault, and we grew it from... 30 customers, um, we raised about $20 million and got it to about 9,000 customers. Now, w- that company did move from Alabama to California and another CEO took on that role and it was a, it was a great success. But it was the evolution of today you back data up for, what, 25 cents a gig? Right. Back, <laughs> right. back then it was $17 a gig. Whoa! <laughs> there weren't that many gigs back <laughs> then. <laughs> so, but it, we sold it uh, to Seagate, which is the largest disk drive manufacturer mm-hmm. in the world at the time. But this idea of a good management team, that's just absolutely critical. And as I mentioned in the first startup, it was around a management team and being in the right place at the right time. The second success, a lot of it was venture-backed, and I learned a great deal. I thought I knew everything. I'd been successful the first time, but there was so much more to learn with venture, money, private equity. Um, I I did pros and cons. Uh, VC money is great when you're in a high-growth and you figured out the recipe. You're just trying to mass-produce it, whatever it is. 
Um, but they all have their own personalities. And during that raise of $20 million over five years, we had five or six different VC firms. They all have a different um, strategy, exit strategy. Some need an exit sooner than others. Some right. want to hang on to it. So at the board meeting, it, it was very interesting at the end, but it all worked out. So. And that's a case where you have to choose wisely, exactly. right? Uh, exactly. Because you could have picked the, uh, probably different firms. The ones you pick, you, you want it to be smart money, not just money, right? And to that point, um, the VC firms uh, that we had involved all had a board member, and they were excellent. You know, we, and we, uh, one of our uh, members, uh, Jim Balkum, was... Uh, and another uh, Chip Lacey, they were smart enough to figure out who the different types of roles we needed on that board. We needed a financial expert. We needed someone that knew mm -hmm. investment banking. We needed someone who knew how to grow and scale. And so it it was a challenge as a, an executive. But it sounded like it was very collaborative, that you were all rowing the same way and you were on the same kind of, uh, you, you had the same path in mind. Correct. There because was, if you have somebody that, look, we want to exit in three years, and you're like, well, it's going to take five years, and they're... Yeah. Right. They could kill the whole company because exactly. it's a different timeline. Because they're looking to return right. uh, a re a return to their investors. Right. So they can look at it as a failure even though you're trending in the right way. Exactly. Uh, forgive me for not knowing. Um, could have easily asked before we went on air. Are, are you a tenant here at Yes, I am. I've been here for at least four or five years, I think. Yeah. So now what was the thinking there? Because you, uh, obviously, with your background, you could have been anywhere. Correct. What was the, the reasoning to be here? It's simple. I pay one rent check, it covers my cleaning, it covers IT infrastructure, it covers uh, rent, of course, it covers parking, it covers... Ping uh, pong. Yeah, ping pong. <laughs> no, I saw that in the brochure. That's <laughs> Weight, weightlifting, and there is a um, restaurant here. So, you know, just today I went, got a 10-minute lunch with a salad and didn't have to drive... 30 minutes to go get something. Now, what about from a talent standpoint? Have you, have you seen, I mean, part of this kind of environment is that there's going to be failures and it's good to have when there is a failure that there is this opportunity to kind of take the talent and, and repurpose them into another opportunity. Are you seeing any of that? Internally, you know, you'd think it'd be like sharks in the water. There's blood. If, well, if, I, if you I see don't someone. mean it in that way, but <laughs> in a, it, like say I'm a young entrepreneur in here yeah. and I have this great idea and I'm going for it and it doesn't work out. It's great if there was down the hall some place for me to land instead of me having to move. Even uh, that, that is exactly the case, but it's also an area to um, collaborate. You know, mm -hmm. we, uh, as Cecil, he loves to be around uh, the businesses. It's not all about counting. It's, uh, and I, I enjoy being around people and sharing experiences. And because there's a lot about entrepreneurship you cannot learn in a book. And, Absolutely. And, and this one, it, it boils down to making payroll. And if you can't make payroll, then you can forget it. And it's that simple. And um, it, it's good and helpful share those experiences with entrepreneurs it's, it's um it's a treat and a benefit of being in this area did you see the cpas nodding their head up and down when he said um if you can't make payroll <laughs> they're like yeah that's a hot button issue yeah that. no kidding <laughs> all right so where can our listeners go to to learn more websites it's, something like uh vincari.com I, I there's a small story we did rebrand our name we used to be called complymd and we kind of grew outside of compliance. So we had a marketing group come in and 
kind of rebranded. They sold you that name? Sold you this <laughs> well, name? Well, <laughs> right. well I, you could call it that after I, we paid his consulting fee. <laughs> but it was it was actually very creative. It was generated from Latin words, Vini, Vidi, Vici, which mm-hmm. is I came, I saw, I conquered. And it was really from Julius Caesar after he won a short war. Um, but it really ties into our tagline, which is open, closed, done, which is really what a surgeon does. Right. And then uh, what's next for you? What do you need? Um, we need in about three or four months, mm-hmm. we're going to need about another 20 employees. So good for you. Yes. We're uh, in contract negotiations with three large healthcare uh, firms, our uh, organizations, which will move us to the next level. So if you're, when you're going after 20 some employees, I mean, how do you do that? Well, you do like a recruiting firm. You uh, just, how do you get the word out? Well, about I that? did another kind of uh, lesson learned in a prior engagement. Uh, recruiting is so important. It's actually a core process for um, a core company. Uh, I usually broke it down into three processes. One is, you know, customer acquisition, retention and leverage. The other one is um, kind of solution assessment and the third process is delivery which but there's an underlying one that's called recruiting and if you're a growing company that recruiting engine needs to be that's on at all times right that's 24 7 because when you stop it you stop <laughs> you will not it'll take you three months to get it back up right. and running because you need that pipeline yes we even recruit when we don't have openings because mm-hmm. you want to meet them and exactly just get on the radar yes Okay, before I let you go, I just have to know it's a burning question. I'm going to have Alan lean in on uh, Cecil's mic and answer the question, too. You don't have to switch headphones and all that stuff, but uh, assuming it's not tax code, okay. what's, on your, what's on your nightstand, man? A tighter insider. Alabama football. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gracious. That's fantastic. That's as good it's answer priorities. as you Exactly. <laughs> it's that work-life yeah, balance. has got to know his priority. Uh, it's, it's typically healthcare-related. Yeah, uh, and it's usually you're you're, you're a very focused uh, man. Yeah. I can see that, and it's usually digital. It's not it's not a book. <laughs> it's only right. Kindle. E-book, right? What well, that may be the case with Alan too. Alan, you reading anything? Or are you doing all the writing? Uh, I am slowly chugging my way through on competition. It's a uh, Michael Porter book. He's a Harvard Business School professor. Um, it's about economic clusters within uh, industries and economies and the uh, advantages to to those types of things. So slowly making my way through that. Well, gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure visiting with all of you this afternoon. Well, let's uh, get Alston's website. Really? I think is that's that necessary? Important. I think he, I think it's <laughs> very necessary. All right. Yeah. Austin, where can we find you, man? It's vincari.com, and that's V-I-N-C-A-R-I.com. And that's information for the surgeon, for the hospital, for anybody. A lot of white Correct. papers, a lot of information. Lacrest demos. Right. Uh, we'll come see you. There you go. Right. Or tied. As long stats. as that's not a uh, Alabama game. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really has been a real pleasure. All of you, we have thoroughly enjoyed uh, the day. And uh, let's don't stop here. We'll do it again, man. All right. Well, thank you. Yes, sir. All right. We will be back in a few from the Innovation Depot in Birmingham. Mm-hmm.